This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home, and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America including Aspen, Vale, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Jeremy Swanson. Jeremy has been one of Aspen Skiing Company's primary photographers for the past 10 years, capturing images that tell the story of the community to a global audience. His work is informed by a background encompassing both the fine arts and natural sciences. Jeremy's work has been published in numerous national publications, including Outside, Ski, The New York Times, Mountain Living, and Food and Wine. When he's not shooting incredible scenic images or athletes on the mountain, His skills are put to work shooting homes, and he recently became a drone pilot to expand his content-crushing repertoire. In our conversation, we talked about the cyclical nature of the housing market and the importance of diversifying and adapting income streams as a freelance creator, how to properly showcase a property using the latest staging, lighting, video, drone, and 3D tour techniques. Lastly, we discussed the need for photographers to have a connection with their subject in order to stand out among the thousands of images consumed online each and every day. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Jeremy. This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisory and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. My uh, my connection with photography was really just recording the hikes, right? You go out on a on a hike or on a ski or whatever it is. You go out and, and you experience some of the woods around here, and it feels pretty natural to bring a uh, a camera. 
it's an odd backwards thing for how most photographers work. I actually, uh, my wife had a little uh, booth, Jennifer. She had a, a little booth at the um, farmer's market. She was binding books. That's kind of, uh, she's always been a very artistic and, and crafty person. She was making books and she needed little things to put in the books to show how they could be used. So she started putting my little photos of our uh, hikes and things in her books at the farmer's market. This is a, such a funny little thing. And uh, a broker, a real estate broker saw those little albums and said, would you be willing to try taking pictures of a house? And I thought like, okay. <laughs> and I did it. Uh, and that was like in boy, Oh three or something like that. Uh, and I was terrible, but I got better <laughs> and they were patient with me. Um, digital was really still pretty new with like a little tiny point and shoot. It was like an $8 million house at the time at the, top of wood road and snowmass and i think i had a point and shoot <laughs> but it somehow magically worked out <laughs> that's cool so you know flashing forward a bit what percentage of your day or time is spent doing real estate photography versus uh, shooting for your other clients you know it depends on the season it depends on the year but overall it's probably pretty close to half and half you know i, I probably shoot oh you know, maybe three homes a week, something like that. And then the other days and, and things I'm, I'm working on, you know, projects for Sonomous Village or for Skiko or for, uh, you know, a hotel or a restaurant or, or what have you. Real estate's always been a, a backbone uh, uh, of my income, of my work. And, and it's something I, I, I take pride in. It's not just something that I do to try and keep the bills paid and a roof over the head. I, I, I enjoy the work and I enjoy the partnership that I have with a whole host of brokers uh, in the Valley. So you've been here quite a while now. Have you ever considered leaving or are you here to stay? I hope to be here to stay. I love it here. I mean, the reason why a, a house here costs uh, $5 million or $10 million is because we have so much going on. Everybody wants to, to, to be here. You know, the, the fact that you could, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> you could spend the, the morning like, uh, you know, hiking up on the pass and, and then come down and, and go to music at the at the tent at Benedict and, and uh and then maybe spend the, the evening uh, back out in the woods. Uh, like, it's unbelievable. I mean, there's other great mountain towns. There's no doubt about it. But there's no mountain town, I think, that has that amazing combination of both cultural and sort of um, environmental amenities. Uh, it's pretty unique. So let, moving into the real estate boom, you know, this, this valley is experiencing unprecedented demand for the you know luxury homes here and people, especially with COVID, driving a lot of that. Do you think it's changing the valley? I do think it's changing the valley. I think we all feel it, like in the sense that, you know, the, the for years, I think uh, there's been a trend to see a, a diminishment of what we used to call off season, you know, like to see empty parking lots at, at the city market in in May or, you know, nobody out on the trails in, say, the second half of October. Those periods seem to be getting smaller and, and, and busier, the off seasons. And I think part of it being that that, uh, particularly during COVID, the number of second homeowners who are really using their residence here as their primary residence and maybe only going back to Houston or Miami for a, you know, a few days here or a few days there um, to take care of business or things like that. that. That population seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. People are, you know, that, that second homeowner group seems to be becoming sort of a, a primary homeowner group. And I think we, we you can feel that instinctively just by being um, looking for a parking spot in Aspen on uh, uh, Saturday at five o'clock. No, it's been well documented and I feel it myself. And I think, you know, I've touched on it quite a bit on this podcast and 
some of the other work I've done and just it, it there, you know, there's at times it feels there is a tension there, right? Because I think we as locals have always cherished our off seasons when it's quieter and you can kind of roll into town and find a parking place and go have dinner without making a reservation. And, you know, that, that feels like it's a bit in jeopardy, right? Or find a really, you know, quiet trail. And uh, it does feel like it's changed quite significantly, at least in the past year. We'll see if that continues after the pandemic subsides. And I think that's the big question. The people who've come in from wherever, maybe the Bay Area, or they've, they've come in from um, New York City, and they've, they've uh, taken a property here in the last maybe year, and they've, they've been spending their time here, they've been working remotely, they're, maybe they're, they're, their children have been studying remotely. I think there's a big question. How's that working out for them? Uh, are they in? Is this like the new normal for them? Or as the, the, the virus be- begins to subside, it seems to be happening now with vaccinations and so on. Will they go back to that life that they had before? And I, I don't think we know the, the answer to that yet. So all these changes have driven unprecedented demand and inventory now is at a historic low. You know, it's a supply and demand business in terms of real estate. How has that impacted the photography world? Were you just incredibly crushed last year when it was such a with such a hot market, or how does that work? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, basically, my end of the of, of the the real estate business is very much on the listing, and I don't even always know if a property sells or if it if it maybe gets unlisted or that kind of thing. But kind of what drives business on my end is is new properties coming on. Um, the market. So yeah, you're ex- absolutely right, Christian. That what happened was uh, last summer, it, you know, we was shooting, you know, two houses a day, five days a week, or six days a week, or seven days a week, and then now, it, you know, it's significantly slowed. Uh, though actually, it's funny now you see more like demand for say some people looking for rental photography because they are going to be gone here and there, or you see actually some people like construction businesses or interior design businesses because some people bought properties that needed some help when they got them in the summer and now that some of those projects are starting to wrap up. So it does shift a little bit, but yeah, there's definitely not a ton of new listings coming on at the moment. It feels like the people who are interested in, in, in selling saw that hot market back during the summer months and they they hopped on board. And, and the number of people now who are looking to put their property uh, on the market seems to be pretty small. Yeah. And the prices they're asking are pretty extraordinary. Oh, yeah. No, I, it makes me like I've seen <laughs> one thing that you do see now is like that now we I've seen more properties that are more of a reach, right? The, the properties that maybe do need a little more help in, in terms of renovation, maybe they're a little less accessible. Maybe they're, there's people who've, you know, who've had property that they knew was going to be a little more challenging to sell. And now that they're seeing that the, the, uh, the inventory being so low, these people are like, now's our chance. And I think they're absolutely right. If you've ever had a property that, that was maybe going to be a little more challenging, um, now's the market for it. Like, because, because there's so little inventory people, I think the the buyers are having to um, kind of widen their imaginations into what they might have been willing to work with. Moving into sort of the business of photography as a, yeah. you know, a freelance photographer here in the Valley or any mountain town, quite frankly, and there's quite a few of you. Um, you're definitely one, you know, one of the most known here in Aspen. But how does that like, you know, on an annual basis, you know, what percentage of your income is derived from real estate versus just resort and travel and tourism clients versus gallery direct sales of your work? You know, the, in, in any given year, the, the real estate for me uh, is going to be between a third and a half of my income, depending, again, like on things like the market. Like, you know, we this isn't the first sort of, uh, you know, we've had all kinds of various ups and downs in the market, right? Like um, certainly uh, in 08, things slowed down quite a bit. 
or at least, you know, in that 08, 09 period. Um, and so I leaned more on that destination marketing kind of client. And now that like, it, you know, that we're going to maybe have some tight inventory for a while, the same kind of thing, you, you kind of move into like now, I, you know, I have a, a prints for sale at a gallery and you try and make sure that you're out there adding to that collection, that you're out there making sure you're touching bases with people who might be interested in acquiring. So it definitely, the nice thing about, I think so many people in this valley, like who are hustling by stringing together kind of more than one stream of income. Uh, the nice thing is that that allows you to sort of move uh, around to adapt to changing market conditions in, in all kinds of markets. But, you know, the real estate's always been there and I'm, I'm confident that it, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> It'll always, there, people are always going to be wanting to uh, move here. So somebody's always going to be willing to, to, to let them come to sell them a home. So somebody calls you a broker or a uh -huh. homeowner or somebody calls you, wants you to come shoot the home. Walk me through how that process works. Sure. Nice thing for me, like I'm sure 80% of my clientele is, is, is repeat business brokers that I've worked with in some cases for 15, 16, 17 years. But especially if somebody's new and, and you know, we don't have sort of a, a routine, you know, the first thing we're going to be talking about is like, where is it? Where I'm trying to get a sense of is kind of the, one of the things we chatted about earlier is, is time of day. Some homes are going to look prettier first thing in the morning. Some homes are going to look prettier in the afternoon. So we're going to try and get a sense of when the the shoot should be, you know, also is it, are the leaves out? Is the, is the landscaping in? Do we need to wait a couple of weeks? Do they have the time to wait a couple of weeks? You know, or like in now in winter, there's things we're talking about like, hey, there's not a lot of fresh snow, you know, the, maybe the grounds aren't looking the best. Let's try and look at the weather and try and find a, an opportunity to get fresh snow on the ground. So those are some of the first things we're talking about is when it's going to happen. But the other thing that, that particularly we're going to talk about if I'm working either with a broker or a homeowner or whatever is, is the whole issue of staging, which has become, you know, kind of more and more important over the years. It, it, it feels like when I started staging was a little less common. Like most, a lot of people just kind of had the home photographed as is, but now there's certainly uh, people take a great deal of care in, in the way that the, the property looks. And if that means that they need to, to freshen it up with some new bedding or maybe some blankets or maybe a, uh, uh, even just something as simple as flowers, you know, that comes up as well as like the classics, like removing clutter and getting rid of, you know, most of the personal items in a place like that. So anyway, staging certainly becomes a part of that, that pre-shoot conversation and a lot of stuff too, just like, what do they want out of it? Are they looking for just a small handful of pictures or also are they looking to add like big things nowadays, like the, uh, the whole 3d tour aspect. Um, things like Matterport or Zillow 3D are now part of the discussion as well as video, you know, full-on motion video and things like drones and, and, and stuff like that. You're really trying to get a sense of kind of how deep do they want to go and, and what sort of um, tools and, and techniques are going to serve them in, in meeting that goal. What's the package look like? I mean, from a, what's like a base package versus the full, the full video, drone, everything included? In terms of cost? Yeah. You know, it's, I would say the, the funny thing about that is it's going to vary wildly and, and not just with me, which it might be varying tightly, more tightly, but, you know, there are a lot of people working in the same field in, in the Valley. There's a lot of real estate photographers. Uh, Colorado Mountain College, CMC produces uh, a number of really good photographers each year. And, uh, you know, any, any given year, a couple of those guys are going to try and break into the, the market. And those are the kind of guys who, who are maybe going to shoot a house you know, they might shoot a package for even 150 or $200. Maybe they're not going to light it. Uh, they're going to use some other kinds of techniques to approach 
the sort of technical challenges of shooting a house and they're going to deliver a lot of pictures and probably not even that bad for something like I said, a hundred or $200. Whereas like um, somebody more experienced, you know, a day rate could go as high as, as something like $8,000 for a full shoot with all those things closer to the, uh, <laughs> to the front end to the, to the back end. I mean, for me, like a, you know, a house, you know, a large house, uh, something like that with just photography, it could end up in anywhere between a lot of it depends on the square footage. Um, but you know, it could end up for $500 up to maybe a thousand dollars is a pretty standard range for a full size house, a condo with things like condos, studios, all that kind of thing, or just, um, uh, open land ending up less expensive and something like I recently shot, gosh, what was it? Was it 20,000? I think it was 20,000 square feet home. And of course, that's going to be a couple of days of, of work and a lot of lighting and, and stuff like that. And that's going to add up uh, differently. So it, it is a huge amount of variation. And there's also companies in, in, in the Valley who do, who really try and, and deliver a, a, a sort of a, um, a very defined package. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to help agencies and brokerages. My specialty is a little more kind of bespoke. I tend to, to, to work a little slower and a little more careful typically on properties that are a little more high end, but I still shoot condos. I still shoot things that are fixer uppers. And you try and meet, basically you try and make it make sense so that the, 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 the price tag doesn't outweigh the, the benefits to the, to the broker who's trying to sell the property. You talked about sort of the evolution of this, uh, you know, from showing up in the 2000s with a point and click yeah, early digital camera to nowadays where you're showing up with all your camera gear and your lighting equipment and a drone. And how has that evolved over time? I mean, and obviously the output is very different, right? People are looking for to feature a home on Instagram and Instagram stories and you got vertical video and all those different assets oh, now that are needed and drone, beautiful drone footage of the home from various angles. How does, what goes into that and how... Have you been able to evolve and adapt as that? Yeah, it's, I mean, the biggest thing now is, is, is digital, right? Like most people who are shopping for a home, whether it's, you know, a, a modest home in, in, in the middle of um, Mississippi or whether it's a, a castle on, on Red Mountain, they really, most people now start their home search online, whether it's Zillow, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Realtor.com, whether they go start with an agent, whatever it is, their first experience of houses is going to probably be digital photographs that they consume on a computer screen or on a phone screen or something like that. And that's what drives a lot of the technology. Like when I first started, it was um, the brokers, they'll remember this, the the old school guys, there was like, it looked like a Sears catalog. It was the MLS publication and you would get a new one. I can't remember if it was every two weeks or once a month. You Periodically, basically, the Aspen Board of Realtors would print up a new MLS book, like a phone book kind of thing with all of the available properties and maybe a couple of black and white pictures of the property. And of course, when you were doing that, having a great deal of, of high polished pictures was not super important. Uh, you wanted it hard to execute. Yeah. Oh, no, it was insane. Uh, I mean, it was literally like they look like every new, every week, every broker or whatever whatever it was, every month, every broker would get a new phone book. And the bro sometimes the photographs would be used for the, the brochures that they would leave at the house. But again, what are you going to give away of, of any given house? How many people are going to view it? 30, 50, 100? I mean, it was very uh, small quantities. And you typically needed maybe three pictures for a home, something like that. Four or five was a big shoot. And now, because people are going to 
you know, uh, start making some pretty significant decisions with what they see on the computer. Definitely the trend has been to, to really try and document the home, every bedroom, every guest bath, every porch, you know, to have a fairly wide selection of photographs so that people get a real good sense of the of the home when they're sitting in their living room looking at their phone screen. And that's driven kind of an, a, a different uh, approach to things. That's not to say there's still usually a key photo or two that, that people might use in their print advertising or as their lead photo on the MLS or that kind of thing where we're going to slow down and spend more time on that kind of photograph. But even in that case, we still may, maybe we're going to still do a picture of the garage or of the laundry room or these other things that are that, because people expect to see that sort of stuff in these these digital um, environments and keeping up has been is is good. I mean, nice thing for me is like I like the uh, the opportunity to learn new things. I, I didn't know if I would enjoy drones, but I really love flying drones. That's a great deal of fun besides being a, a very useful tool. And so, for the most part, you you get this opportunity to to, to experience these new tools and techniques, and and it can be a lot of fun. And they, they keep it fresh, so that you are doing things in different ways. I had no idea like you know, 20 years ago that I would be able to put a, basically a camera on a tripod 200 feet up in the air and take pictures of how a, a, a home sits on its piece of property or how close it is to the ski hill or that kind of thing. But it, it's been great. And that's a relatively new thing for you, right? You're just getting into this? Yeah, the drones, I guess I, maybe two, three years now, three, maybe four. Uh, first, I used to subcontract out the drone stuff because I, I found it you know, expensive and hard to justify and that kind of thing. But I think maybe two or three years ago now, I, I you know, I finally invested in my own equipment. Uh, I finally felt like that both the quality of the, the the actual flight experience as well as the imagery that was coming out of them was was at a really useful uh, level. And now they're just basically core. I think it would be really hard to do the the job without a drone uh, anymore. Like it, it's certainly one of the first things that you're, you're going to talk about when somebody's photographing a home. Are they interested in drone footage? And the answer is almost always going to be yes. No, it's amazing to get that bird's eye perspective on the home. And, you know, I'm seeing more and more, like I said before, vertical imagery, right? Even yeah. vertical video. Um, you know, obviously Snapchat sort of uh, pioneered that. And now you're seeing it in Instagram predominantly. And, and there's a lot of home tours that are really, really nice video footage in a vertical format, which is, is a relatively new thing. Absolutely. It's also, it's interesting as, as being as somebody who works with different brokerages, a lot of these brokerages, whether you're a Sotheby's or you're a Coldwell Banker or, or you're a, a Douglas Elliman, many of the, the brokers are working kind of within some marketing guidelines that come down from corporate. So they may be able to make some decisions for themselves. There may be some decisions that are being made at the brokerage level. And then there's probably some decisions that are being made in New York or Los Angeles about how they present a house. And one of those like that sort of seems to be a hot button issue now is the whole vertical versus horizontal kind of thing um, with some brokerages really wanting to hold tightly on to horizontal pictures and, and some brokerages getting direction from their their kind of their creative leaders in their corporate offices getting pushed to, to go more vertical. So it's also really interesting to see kind of how each of these brokerages compass uh, uh, everybody, you know, the, the kind of more forward focused tech leaning ones, or there's some people who are a little more kind of handholding old school customer service uh, models, being able to work with brokers from those different brokerages and seeing how each of them is sort of approaching changes in technology and the changes in the ways that people view, view and buy homes. This episode is brought to you by Aspen Snowmass Sotheby's International Realty, the premier brokerage in Aspen and the Roaring Fork Valley. As the largest local real estate brokerage, we are a powerhouse firm with international reach 
and over 180 hand-picked brokers who are local experts, deeply vested in our community and our clients. We continue to set the bar in market knowledge, sales volume, and satisfied clients, and have helped our clients buy and sell more homes than any other real estate company in Aspen and the Rhone Fork Valley for more than 20 years. Our year-to-date sales are greater than the next four companies combined. For us, it's not just business, it's personal, because we're convinced there's no better place to live than right here, right now. Learn more by visiting us at www.aspensnomassir.com. All right, let's talk a little bit about your relationship with various brokers, designers, architects. How do you cultivate those relationships and have those long-standing business relationships that continue to deliver uh, photo jobs for you? That's the whole thing, isn't it? Like, it, I mean, fundamentally, it feels like every job basically comes down to customer service, like, right? And that's even the more technical way of putting it than I'd like to say, which is just every job seems to come down to relationships. You build relationships. For me, the best part is it becomes creatively more fulfilling, and it also becomes a lot more efficient. Like, working with somebody new, you really have to figure out, like, what is it they want? What kind of style are they looking for? Are they very clean, modern, contemporary, very sleek, very spare? Or is it somebody who wants to like stuff every nook and cranny with one more pillow and, and one more tchotchke and one more, and there's no wrong answer to that, but you're definitely, when you're working with somebody new, you're trying to figure it out. The nice thing about the clients you've had for a decade or longer, like you kind of have a pretty good idea where they're coming from and you kind of know how to approach the, the, the photography of the home to achieve a result that they're very likely to be happy with. Uh, and that's what keeps them coming back, right? Because the, the, the relationship is the same for them. It's it's easier when they have a photographer who they know is going to deliver what they, they like, is going to be timely, is going to be cost effective, and that kind of thing. Like one little area I kind of had, have ended up specializing in that, that isn't something that a lot of the other photographers do is I do a lot of shooting what's called tethered. So Sometimes like there's kind of two ways you end up working. These are kind of reductive, but two ways you end up working with brokers. Some brokers like give you like basically like the lockbox key or code, you know what I mean? Or they give you the garage code and they're like, just go do it. I don't want to know anything about it. It's all good. Just give me some good pictures. And that's a great way of working with a broker. No problem at all. And so I work with brokers like that. Awesome. But I also work with a lot of brokers who are like, I want to be art direct. I want to be involved with the process. I want to be there when it happens. I want to be able to, to make changes. And I have a lot of clients I work with like that. And what we do then is I have my camera, my DSLR and the lighting and all this stuff. And it's all hooked up to a computer wirelessly. It's all you know going by a Wi-Fi. And basically, as I take a picture, it comes up in full size on a, on a large laptop screen. And the broker is there at that exact moment to look at it and go like, you know, this angle's working, this angle's not working. Or even more likely like, Oh, that there's that big wrinkle in the bed. What if I just give that a tug, or I, you, yeah, or um, that kind of thing, or like the the flowers are blocking the view at the window. Let's move the flowers a foot to the left. And so, one of the things I've specialized in is is working with those kinds of brokers, the kind of brokers who really want to be hands on, who really want to art direct, who really want the stage, and then be able to do that in real time on digital photography equipment um, and see the results come right up. And the nice thing then is. 
like we basically both sort of sign off when the when the photo is complete. We can both see it, and there's no surprises about what's going to happen in post processing. There's no real surprises about the angles I'm going to choose or anything like that. They they're seeing it happen in real time as they as they go through, and it, it's it's a kind of a it's a partnership, and that's what also brings people coming back to me is that I can do that for them. I'm happy to do that for them. It's it's a little longer a little slower, but it delivers them a product that they know they feel really good about. Because uh, so many brokers, they know how they want to sell the home. They know what the story of the home is. So many brokers have an ex a real clear idea of who's going to buy it. And they want to put together a story that's going to appeal to those buyers. And, and uh, we can work together to do that. So for the brokers listening, I think this has been incredibly uh, informative. You know, they're certainly working with different photographers, but if they were to choose a photographer, you know, in just putting yourself aside as one of the vendors, what should a broker be looking for in a photographer? Well, I mean, I, I think you're going to start by looking at their, their past work, but, but really there is, I mean, and I don't mean this in, in a pejorative way at all, but like you can really kind of spend almost any amount you want on, on photography and, and you want to be smart about that. Look, if, if you have like a, a studio in a, in a Aspenwood in Snowmass Village that you're going to sell for you know, $175,000 in your commission, I can't do the math fast enough, but it, let's just say it's not gonna be enough to, to buy a, yourself like a, a new Porsche. You know, so maybe you're not gonna wanna spend the highest amount of dollars on, on photography and working with somebody newer, somebody less experienced, and also working with some people who have like these, these package plans where like one of the things that'll often differentiate price point in photography is lighting, right? You'll often see people, I, I shoot with lighting, I really try to avoid uh, shoots where they, they kind of want to save that. But there are a lot of photographers out there who, for instance, will go out and shoot with lighting. Well, the biggest difference in shooting with no lighting is typically you can't see out the windows. There's a whole thing in photography called dynamic range. And basically it means that the amount of light to dark a camera can see is somewhat narrow compared to the human eye. And we've all experienced that. Like when you take a, an iPhone picture inside of a, a house in something and the, usually the windows just turn white. The, the iPhone decides to focus on what's going on inside, which is probably the right decision, and it exposes for the interior so the windows disappear. And what lighting does is it makes the inside just as bright as the outside, so you can see the inside and the outside all at once. So lighting slows down photography a lot, and but it's typically something I do because I'm shooting and working on homes where you can see out the windows. Where I'm headed with that is that's the kind of thing that's important for a, a broker to evaluate when they're looking at a photographer. If they notice like in the, the person's portfolio or in the, the, the whatever they've seen from other photographers, if they can't see out the windows, it's all white. The windows are completely white. It probably means that photographer is working without lighting. And again, that's fine. That's going to go faster. It's going to save some money. And in some cases, that's a great decision. Like I said, in a, maybe in an Aspenwood studio or something like that. Or maybe it's a teardown. You know it's a teardown, you want to get some shots so people have a nice sense of what they're buying. Again, you know, going through the process of, of, of lighting a home in that situation is probably not going to be a cost-effective decision. That's one example of a kind of thing that, that the, the, a broker would look at. I think the other kind of things a broker ought to be looking at is also those um, side services. If they want uh, 3D scanning the Matterport or Zillow 3D, these other kinds of things. Is that photography offering that or are you going to have to go to another vendor? And the same with video. Is, is the photographer offering video services or are you going to have to go to a, another vendor? Because typically, you know, it's going to be most cost effective if you can get um, one photographer who's going to be able to provide all those services to you because they're typically going to be able to bundle those at a better 
cost. But I think a lot of it has to do with basically the the, the price point of the property. The, the uh, you know, and I think most brokers know this. The basically the higher end the property is, the more they are going to want to expect to to spend on the the photography and, and to get somebody who has some more experience. But if somebody, for instance, is specializing, you know, they're just like a lot of brokers when they break into the business, they're going to get a lot of like, you know, like those smaller homes, like say behind City Market and the, the Sopras Village subdivision, or maybe they're getting like duplexes in Glenwood Springs or, or whatever. Like, don't go bananas with the photography. Uh, don't, you know, make sure you're going to get something that you like. But but if you're selling on Red Mountain or, or something like that, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you have something that is going to go well. And the other thing ends up happening a lot, too, is, is you, sometimes you even want to overspend a little bit on your photography because it makes the seller happy. It's one of the secrets of photography in this business is it's not just about the buyer. It's also about the seller. Um, sellers like to see that uh, beautiful pho- photographs of their home. It shows to them that the brokers respects what their home is and it, they like them as even a, as sort of a memory of the home. So I think it's also worth taking in mind if you have a high, like a, a high maintenance seller, a fussy seller, also lean towards uh, not saving money on photography for those people. Because again, it makes a difference. Definitely makes a difference. All right. I have to ask, Jeremy, is there a, is there a property that you've gone into in these years, all these years and thousands of you know, f- homes that you've been in that just completely blew you away? There are a ton. I'm thinking recently like... Uh, Boy, so on Wood Duck, it was, it was a listing from Maureen Stapleton on, I think Wood Duck is the name of the road uh, near the, the the Hallam Lake that was like, partially, I don't even, I wouldn't even say that it was like what my dream home would be, but like to be impressed at the quality of work, it, it was drenched in this elaborate stone from top to bottom. And it, it was a house with a vision. Again, some people are going to love the vision, some people not so much. But like it is quite a thing sometimes to see like the the boldness of architecture that is allowed when people kind of have somewhat limitless budgets. Like I the homes up in Starwood always amaze me, right? Um, you know the subdivision up there above McLean Flats. The views up in Starwood are astonishing. I don't think there's ever been a home that I photographed in Star- Starwood where I didn't think like I could sit here in this living room and look at that view pretty much for the rest of my life. You know, uh, and then where else? Like there's, especially old snowmass sometimes, like those little ranches down in old snowmass. Oh, I know there was like one not long ago, like a, had a lot of land attached to it. They cattle and hunting and stuff. There's places like that in old snowmass that you're only, you're 10 minutes from a ski lift, but you feel like you're in the middle of like Ponderosa, like in Montana. There's great stuff. I mean, it, there's all kinds of wacky things too here and there. I love that too. One of the things that's fun about shooting real estate here is to see like the breadth and width of what's available, like old ski chalets, like that haven't been touched for like 40 years. Like, um, and you see like, like I was in a house recently, I forget what it had, but I was looking at the counter and it had a button to push on the counter, like a very old, like a, uh, a button from the 70s and I pushed it and like the counter thing kind of slid open and a blender popped up. So I love like little funny things like that. So partially like there are, we have houses that are basically preserved in amber here because they just don't get used like a regular full-time residential kind of house gets to gets to go. Um, you can go like if you go on an open house, like with, you know, there's open houses, I think every Thursday of those tours, people like even regular non-real estate people should go poke around on an open house tour sometime and just kind of marvel at the diversity. It's a very diverse set of homes we have uh, here and, and people live in all kinds of, of, of different ways. But there are a lot of 
you know, amazing 40 and $50 million estates where you are, you know, you're blown away by the architecture, the finish, the design. We also see things that are, they're small and, and just done so well, so exquisitely well, because space is at a premium. If you want to live in town, if you're in a West end and you're trying to squeeze the most out of every, uh, space, just, you know, there's a lot, just like we have a lot of different brokers. we got a lot of different homes here. <laughs> I love this return to, you know, a little bit of chalet inspiration that I'm starting to see some of the uh, newer properties with more wood paneling and wood ceilings and inlays and, you know, and just wood, you know, going back to wood versus the steel and glass, you know, obviously still a lot of glass and big wide open views, of course. I love it. I love when we see like the open fireplace in the middle of the room, like that has that kind of circle chimney and you can kind of sit all the way around the fireplace. It looks sort of like a clamshell or something like that's kind of, you know, these like the old ski chalet look. Um, A-frames, you still see a few A-frames here and there, which are really cool. There's like, you know, there's a whole period of architecture like we have from our 60s and 70s, 50s to some degree that kind of tends to be uh, like now thought of as a, a scrape or has been sometimes anyway. And now like I love when people go into those houses and you, they find a designer or an architect with the vision to go, nope, I think we can make this work. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of your other work. You know, you've worked for the Aspen Skiing Company forever, um, producing amazing images, probably some of the most looked at images. You know, when I was at Aspen Skiing Company, you were pretty much consistently getting the top Instagram liked uh, photos of the year, year in and year out, which is is a testament to you and just figuring out where those images are and your creative process and how you really just nail that look that, you know, everybody wants to see and you know, in some respects, you are selling the mountains more than anybody around here. And your images have done an amazing job to sell this, to sell the mountains and the Aspen Snowmass area in general. You know, how, how rewarding has that been? And how do you continue to evolve that business? And, and where does that business go from here? You know, um, I've been fortunate. First of all, thank you, Christian. Uh, I mean, th- one of the funny things about being a photographer is it's actually considerably more teamwork than people imagine like with my work at Skiko and being able to pull together images like that it's usually because i have people behind me like yourself and like the other people who work in the creative departments at Skiko who are also backing you up and you can sell them like i have this crazy idea let's spend the night up in the highlands patrol headquarters and we can get some really cool like star trail shots from the top of highlands or whatever like there's so much about photography that is actually more partnership than 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 people Imagine, but I, I think the good key to any photograph, whether it's a professional photographer or, or an amateur photographer, is a connection to the subject. I, I teach a fair amount, and one of the things I like to bring up in, in when I'm teaching is people scroll through images all day. I mean, the number of photographs that we're all exposed to over the, the, the length of any given day is astonishing. Uh, I remember seeing a statistic that's now several years old and probably out of date, but that if you imagined the um, when you scroll through your social feeds, your Facebook, your your TikTok, your Instagram, what have you, if you imagine just pushing a, a ticker tape at the end of your phone as you scroll through, that that ticker tape would be roughly the uh, the height of the Statue of Liberty at the end of the day for the average person. So you've consumed literally thousands of photographs. And trying to stand out or, or ha- stake some ground in that kind of a huge expanse and that huge competition, I think, depends on people having a connection, the photographer having a connection to their subject. I, I talk about in class, one of the things that almost always seems to guarantee that connection between photographer and subject is when people take pictures of their dogs. It's something that will almost always make me stop in my scroll. If somebody takes a picture of their dog. It can be very simple. It can be poorly lit, uh, not interestingly composed or whatever, but you still see the emotional 
connection. The, the photographer loves to talk, right? It's just that simple. And that, I think that connection between photographer and subjects makes us stop. And I think you have to have that. Uh, I, I feel that for our, our mountains here, for our ski community, for the people here, uh, uh, for the terrain. And I, I hope, I desire to, to, to make that come through in the imagery. Uh, and I think other people do too. And, and you can see it when it happens. You, you can see it when people are faking it or going through the motions or just photographing something because they were told to. And even in real estate photography, I always try and think like, what if I was interested in this home? What would I, if I was going to go home, I always think of it the same way. If I was going to go home and try and convince my wife that this was the house for us, what would I show her? What would I tell her about the home? And I think about that in the real estate photography, but it, it, it's even clearer or more present in those kinds of mountain photography or, or, or skier photography or something. What, how do I connect to this? What, again, I, like I said, I always think, what would I show my wife when I get home? Because um, she's seen too many of my photographs, and, and they have to be pretty good to get her to look anymore. <laughs> well, one of the other things, and you know, that, I think that was a really great assessment of how you, you think about it and how a photographer and a creator should think about it. But one of the most, one of the coolest projects, in my opinion, that you've done is going down to the micro level and, and shooting snowflakes. And you've done that so amazingly well and really showcased the crystals on a black background in some of your work. And I know you, you know, we use some at the ski company and I own one myself and it's one of my favorite pieces. And uh, tell me a little bit about that project and what was the inspiration and how do you go about shooting a snowflake? Thanks. Uh, it, it, that's a project. It's kind of my longest and, and, and most involved personal project, you know, a, a photographic project that I've picked up because of a passion for it. You know, a, a few years back, like I'd been photographing skiing for, you know, many years and I, I was starting to feel like, what, what am I missing? What, you know, what is it that the, the photographs aren't getting about this? And, and it kind of occurred to me like that it was sort of the most obvious thing, which is it boils down to snow. You know, that's at the heart of, of what a mountain town in winter is and what skiing is and, and what a, a trip to this community in, in, in wintertime is. And I tried to find a way to, to figure that out and to, to sort it out. And I started looking at work uh, of other photographers and, and, and how had they approached sort of a, this kind of a subject matter. And it, of course, it's a, it's a technical kind of pursuit between the lighting and the lenses and, the, and the, the depth of field and all these sorts of things. But then as you can work through that, you have this whole new world kind of open up to you to like, you know, just like, I don't remember a couple of days ago, it snowed. And I, uh, uh, what I do is I, I grab all my gear and I have a little piece of um, scarf. It's a little black knit scarf and I take it outside and I go somewhere. Sometimes it's just on my front step. Sometimes it's like on the, on the top of the hill and I set out my little piece of scarf and then I start like bringing my equipment to bear on these, these flakes that the scarf catches and, and you start to sort of kind of hunt through all these ones because a lot of them, they're, they're broken or they're disconnected or they're smashed into each other. And you're kind of hunting out these little perfect crystalline flakes. And when you find one, you sort of go, go to work on it. Sort of the biggest challenge of, of, of the snowflake photography, well, obviously besides the size, is that when you photograph things at that miniature, at that macro level, is the, the, the camera can't get it all in focus at what time, which, which sounds weird because they're so small. But when you're focused that detail, only a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of the snowflake is in focus in any given picture. So what you end up doing is you kind of are moving the camera back and forth by hand over the tiniest, tiniest adjustments you could possibly make. And you end up with 30, 40, 50, maybe 80 pictures of the same snowflake. And what you're trying to do is, is get so 
each little slice of that snowflake is in focus in one of those pictures and you take them back to the computer and you sort of piece them together and you find all the little pieces that are slices that are in focus and you kind of get them in order and then the computer helps you sort of bring all these little slices of focus into one focused photograph. So again, there's a technical part of it, but the, the joy of being able to sort of find that perfect snowflake and then to be able to reproduce it or to re, to, to, to visualize it on the computer is, is, is an amazing process and one I, I am nowhere near done with. That is so cool. I had no idea that you, that's what went into that, you know, and I just, I just look at the, the output and this beautiful crystalline flake and you're just like, I just love how it represents all that snow we see all, you know, all winter long in, in one mi micro flake and just how beautiful that little flake can be. Uh, They're amazing. Movie. Like, it, I'll, I'll tell you the most common response when I, when I show somebody one is they say, no, that's not real. Uh, I think that people have seen like, cause we've cut out snowflakes that sort of look like that since we were in like kindergarten and decorating for Christmas. And I, I think there's, a widespread idea that that's not what snowflakes really look like, you know, that there's a, that, that I'm somehow playing around in a, you know, a Photoshopping this together from something or something else. And I think people, it takes people a minute to realize like, holy moly, like a trillion of those, or I don't even know, a quadrillion of those just fell out of the sky and they look like that. It, it's sort of mind blowing how intricate and beautiful each one of these is, and, and, and yet we still have them in, you know, uh, in feet. Uh, we <laughs> measure them in feet. Uh, it's, it's cool. And we're, we're lucky to be here and we're lucky to have this kind of environment where we, we get to see that kind of snow. I like to end the show with a kind of few personal things. So what, mm -hmm. do you have a favorite Aspen mountain? You know, I am a, I've always been a snowmass snow boy at art. I've lived in snowmass for 20 plus years. I like my home mountain. Uh, I even, I take some degree of pride in, in sort of the, uh, guff that snowmass gets, uh, you know, cause of course, like, uh, when I'm working with athletes, like everybody wants to, to ski the crown jewel, you know, everybody wants to get over to Aspen. That's obviously where most people want to be. And then there's that little core group that wants to be over at Highlands, but I am a snowmass guy. I, I love the breadth of terrain in particular. I love Hanging Valley. And I love the Cirque. I think like, you know, in terms of having interesting to photograph, technical, fun terrain, like those two pieces of the mountain match up with anything anywhere. In fact, they're better in a certain way to me because they have all that exposed rock and cliffs and things like that, that even if you're not jumping off of them, that photograph is such a beautiful backdrop. You know, I think it's hard to find places like that exactly on highlands and on aspen mountain the off season is is near um yep. you know the mountains will be shutting down some point in the not too distant future do you have a favorite activity in the off season yeah uh you know we, it's funny of course we used to do some traveling and stuff but now we've you know one of the nice things weird funny things about the quarantine right is we've all been able to uh sort of investigate new areas closer to home. I'll tell you my new little pet project, which spends so much amount of time on, I've enjoyed drones so much, now I've moved over into FPV drones, which is the kind of drones that you put the goggles on uh, and you fly uh, while looking through like a first person view of what the drones 
are seeing, people have maybe seen these as racing drones, like on the TV when you ESPN's on at two in the morning and they're showing drone racing, uh, these kind of racing drones. And actually what I've been doing though is putting um, cameras on them and flying them in a more kind of a cinematic way. I have been having, and I don't have any commercial application yet. I, maybe I will one day, I have no idea. But flying these FPV drones and like soldering them and programming them and all this stuff, man, that has just been crazy fun. It's a geeky thing, but I'm loving it. What about if you, you know, you're a snowmass guy? Do you have a favorite spot to grab a bite to eat? Let's see. In snowmass, where do I love to grab a bite? You know, actually, like a little hidden gem is Grub Thai. Um, the little Thai place up on the mall makes surprisingly good Thai food. Surprisingly reasonable prices. Like, you know, uh, if, uh, if, we, if it's like a, a Tuesday night and we're just not feeling the, the whole cooking thing, like we order up to those guys and like, you know, get some pod thai or they have like a Thai curry rice. And like that stuff is good. Do you have a nonprofit or a charitable cause that you work with? I do. Partially, I teach with both Anderson Ranch Art Center and the art base. So I, I always try and support them. Like I usually donate prints to their auctions and that kind of thing. I think those are two fabulous organizations. Also, I've done some work with um, Aspen Center for Environmental Studies. The ACES, I think, does fantastic um, work, and the, the, especially their preservation work and their interpretive um, uh, work that they do uh, at, at various trails around here, I think, is absolutely um, amazing. I, we're, I tell you, if there's one other area that we're really blessed in this valley with, it, like there are a lot of good nonprofits in this valley who really make this a more interesting and sort of um, en enriching place to live. Final question, you know, if, what advice do you have for somebody that's aspiring to get into photography? Don't wait for anybody's permission. You can get good at photography. It's great to take classes. There's incredible resources also online, whether it's YouTube or Creative Live or, or a million other things, or if it's just doing it yourself. Don't wait for anybody to allow you to do it. Uh, go out, find things that interest you to photograph. And, and then the biggest thing is to be, if you can find a mentor, if you can find somebody to be critical of your work, that's fabulous. But if not, you can do it. You can be critical of your own work. Look at the photographs that you produce. Find out what you like about them, what's working, keep it. Uh, find out what is not working in the images or what you want to change and, 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 and work on it. It's just a, you know, it's a discipline like almost everything else. Uh, there's loads of ways to get better. And, and I, I feel the same way about my photography. Uh, I, I want to get each day, I want to have a, a, take a better picture than I took the day before. And, and I think that will go on for the rest of my days. There's no end in getting better at things and, and photography is no different. What's the best way for a listener to learn more about you or connect with you online? Uh, I do have a website, jeremyswansonphoto.com. I think like most people with websites, I get behind. Uh, <laughs> so maybe the most current way to, to see me and even connect with me is uh, Instagram, which is my handle is at jswansonphoto. And, and uh, even there I can get behind, but I try and, and, and stay connected to that community. It's actually, I'm a, I'm a, a lurker. I love like the amount of good stuff that I see on Instagram is kind of astonishing. Like especially phone cameras and all that stuff has gotten so good and, and people are in so many interesting situations now. Like the kind of content you can consume now on, on Instagram is really amazing. Jeremy, I've so enjoyed this. It's been so great to connect with you and catch up and I've always enjoyed working with you in our time here in Aspen Snowmass and can't wait to see that next image you put out uh, and when it gets picked up. And I know we'll, be, we'll all be clicking on it and uh, double tapping it for sure. No, oh, thank you. It's been a privilege to, to get to talk to you with Christian. I've always in, uh, enjoyed your company and can't wait to see what you do next.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.